You have your Bible with you. Turn with me to Hebrews 11, verse number 1. Hebrews 11, verse number 1. We dropped off here a few weeks ago because we wanted to look at expanding self-examination. And the first point was the reality of our faith. Do we have true saving faith? 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says that man is to test himself, prove himself, to see whether or not he is in the faith. And so we began with self-examination by looking at the reality of our faith. Well, for the next several weeks, we're going to help you understand what is faith. Hebrews 11 takes us through the hall of faith. And we're going to come to understand what is saving faith. How does it manifest itself? We understand that faith is believing in what God has already said. Faith is defined by two words, trusting obedience. I trust what God says, therefore I obey what God says. Interesting to note that in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, there are two words that are used of faith. One is negative, one is positive. Ma'al is negative, and aman is positive. Ma'al means deceitful, unfaithful. It's defined in the King James Version as trespass. But aman is a positive form of faith. And there are seven different usages of that verb in the Old Testament. And only one of the seven translates into our English word faith used in the Greek in the New Testament. And that word is defined as trust or believe or steadfastness, person with conviction. And we're going to show you in Hebrews 11, what does it mean to be a man or woman of conviction? Because everybody in Hebrews 11 had steep, deep convictions. What does that look like? How do we understand that? Well, we're going to begin by looking at Hebrews 11, verse number one, the first two words, which says, now faith. We're going to stop right there. That's as far as we're going to get today. Because we need to understand, I know we're flying, we're, we're two words in a week, man, we're flying through Hebrews 11. But those two words open up a whole door for us to understand what is faith. We understand that Christ is the object of our faith. We understand that faith is a gift given to us by God, for by grace are you saved through faith and not yourselves, it's a gift of God. But we also understand that faith is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. There it's defined as faithfulness. But we also know that faith is a special gift given to the body of Christ, given to individuals in the body that exemplify a special gift of faith. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 9, tell us that faith is a gift that God gives to the body of Christ. There are certain ones of you here today that have that gift. How do you define the gift of faith? Very simple. Those with the gift of faith don't see the obstacles before them because they see the omnipotent one beside them. Did you get that? Those with the gift of faith do not see the obstacles before them 
because they see the omnipotent one beside them. In other words, there are obstacles that always come before us, right? But the man who has the gift of faith doesn't see the obstacles because the omnipotent king, the Lord of glory, is beside him. And so he knows that whatever obstacles there, the power of God overcomes all those obstacles. That's why they live by faith. And those people with the gift of faith within the body of Christ help every single one of us live by faith. Now, every one of us has the gift of faith if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some that have the spiritual gift of faith that help us understand how to live by faith. It's like the gift of mercy. All of us are saved because of God's gracious mercy. But there are certain ones of us who have the gift of mercy. And those people help us understand how to be merciful to other people. Just like the people with the gift of faith help us learn how to live by faith. We also recognize that that faith embodies the truth of God's word, right? So in Jude 3, we are to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the faith in Jude 3 is the word of truth. Like Paul in 2 Timothy 4 says, he has kept the faith. Not that he has kept the faith that he has, but he has kept the embodiment of the doctrine of truth that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he kept the faith. And then we also know from Ephesians 6 that there is a shield of faith that we are to take up that we might be able to stand all the fiery darts of the evil one. Because he wants us to doubt what God says. He wants us to disbelieve what God says. But when we take up the shield of faith, then we are able to withstand the fiery darts of the evil one. So you look at all those different verses that embody the truth of God's word, which is the faith, the shield of faith, the gift of faith, that Christ is the object of faith, and we sometimes can get confused as to what faith really is. So... We're going to do that for you this week and next week, helping you understand what is faith so that you will come to grips with it as we go through Hebrews chapter 11 and look at all these different characters who embodied true saving faith that we will learn from their lives because it was God who was at work in them. So Hebrews 11, verse number 1 Now faith. Let me give you six words. Six words that will take you through the first two words of Hebrews 11.1. Faith's inauguration is number one. Faith's expedition is number two. Faith's reception is number three. Faith's conviction, number four. Faith's manifestation, number five, and faith's continuation, number six, okay? With each of those words, I'll give you a phrase that helps you understand the word. So let's begin with faith's inauguration. How does faith begin? Can I muster up in my own mind the ability to believe and have faith in God? Is there something I can do through all the energies that I extend and expend that will get me to have faith in God? 
Well, the answer is no. Why? Because faith commences with the Christ. Faith's inauguration says that faith commences with the Christ. It all begins with Christ. It never begins with you. It can't begin with you. Why? Ephesians 4, 17 and 18 says, your mind is a darkened mind. Titus 1, 15 and 16 says, your mind is a defiled mind. 1 Timothy 6, 5 says, your mind is a depraved mind. Romans 8, 6 and 7 says, your mind is a dead mind. So a dead, defiled, depraved, dark mind can do nothing to muster up faith to believe in God. Why? Because that mind needs to be delivered. A dark, defiled, depraved, dead mind needs deliverance. And only God can do that. So faith commences with the Christ. 2 Peter 1, verse number 1 is the verse. It says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Peter recognizes that the faith that the believers have is the faith that they received. God granted them the gift to believe, right? It's been granted you, Philippians 1, 29, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for his sake. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Faith is a gift. It's a gift given by the divine Lord of the universe. Best exemplified in, in Matthew 16, when Christ asked the question, who do men say that I am? And what does Peter say? Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Christ says what? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. But my Father who is in heaven revealed that to you. In other words, Peter just didn't come up with the idea that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He could never state that unless the Father had granted him the gift to believe and the faith to believe that Jesus is exactly who he said he was and is. That's so important to understand that. Faith's inauguration commences with the Christ because without the Christ, you would never, ever believe. You can't. Your mind is dead. Dead minds don't think. They're incapable of thinking. No, you can think intellectually about the things of the world, but the natural man doesn't understand the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. He doesn't get that. It's a supernatural faith that's only can be granted through a supernatural means that comes from one who was supernatural himself, the God of the universe. So therefore, the faith that I have in the living God is faith that's been granted to me by God. We know that grace is a gift. We know that salvation is a gift. 
We know that repentance is a gift. We know that belief is a gift. Well, faith is also a gift. Everything having to do with salvation is a gift. I can't earn salvation. I can't earn faith. I can't earn grace. I can't earn belief. It's something that God grants me. That's why in John 6, verse number 65, Christ says, nobody comes unto me unless it's been granted by the Father. You can't come to God because you want to. You can only go to God because he granted you the gift to believe, the gift to have faith. Flesh and blood doesn't reveal it to you. I can't reveal to you the the triune nature of God. I can't reveal to you the identity of Christ. I can preach that to you. But unless God works in your heart, you'll never believe. But I'm okay with that. Because I'm not here to persuade you. I'm not here to convince you. I'm just here to preach the truth. Because that's all that matters. And God will use his spirit with the scriptures to do a mighty work in your heart and life. Because it's a supernatural act of God. I, I can't convince, I can, you know, we can darken the lights and we can have smoke come out of the ceiling and we can have all kinds of things to play on the mood of your emotions to get you to respond. What is that? Those are all human ways of manipulating your emotions. God's word doesn't manipulate people's emotions. That's why I preach. That's why I've been preaching for 40 years. This is all I do. Because... It's the only thing that works. God saves you through the preaching of his word. So to understand faith's inauguration, you must understand that faith commences with the Christ. Next is faith's expedition. That is, faith is sought after sincerely. Hebrews 11, verse number 6. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, there is something that causes me to seek God. But Romans 3 tells me that no man seeks after God. Why? He can't. His mind is dark. His mind is dead. His mind is defiled. His mind is depraved. He doesn't want to seek after God. So unless that mind is delivered in a supernatural way by the power of God, that mind will never seek after God. So, faith's expedition is this. God rewards those who diligently seek him. We say, wait a minute, you said that no one seeks after God. That's true. That's true. But Jeremiah said, in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will find me, when you seek me with all of your heart. Amos said, Amos 5, verse number 4, these words. Seek me that you might live. The call goes out. Seek me. You'll find me. But unless the Lord grants you faith, you will never seek the God who granted you that faith. That's called faith's expedition. 
there's a journey that takes place that I might come to understand the true and living God. You see, I must believe that Christ is the I am. Christ says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. You must believe that I am the God who spoke to Moses from the burning bush way back in Exodus chapter 3. Before Abraham was, I am. You must believe that. You must believe that I am the bread of life, John 6. You must believe that I am the door, John 10. I am the good shepherd, again, John 10. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. I am the true vine, John 15. I am the great I am, John 8, 58. So when the temple police and the temple guards came to collect Jesus on the eve of the crucifixion, he went to the garden entry and says, whom do you seek? They said, Jesus, the Nazarene. What did Jesus say? I am. And they all fell over backwards. Why? Because he is the great I am. Unless you believe that Jesus is the I am, you will die in your sins. In other words, do you have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah in order to be saved? Answer, absolutely. Everything in the Old Testament is about the arrival of the Messiah, the coming of the anointed one of God. And now when he arrives, you can't say, well, I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. I believe that Jesus is, 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 is human. He, he, he's 100% man, 100% God, but I don't believe he's the Messiah. No, you can't do that. Why? You must believe he's son of God, son of man, and son of David, right? You must believe in his deity, his humanity, and his royalty. Why? Because as Messiah, he's king of Israel. That's why when he came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Only the king can present the kingdom, right? So he comes to present the kingdom. This is faith's expedition. It's a journey that says, I will sincerely seek the one who gave me the gift of faith. There's this constant journey that I'm always on to understand more and more about the Christ. Who is this one I believe in? Tell me more. Give me more. Help me understand more of him. You can never get enough of the Lord Jesus Christ. So faith's inauguration commences with the Christ. Faith's expedition tells us that faith is sought after sincerely. And number three, faith's reception. Faith's reception. Faith is received only through divine revelation. Faith is received only through divine revelation. There is no other way to receive the faith. It is a gift that God grants that comes to you only through divine revelation. How do we know that? Book of Romans, 10th chapter, makes it very clear that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how would they call on him whom they have not believed? How would they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how would they hear without a preacher? How would they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, 
they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word concerning the Christ, the Messiah. These things are written, John 20, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that believing in him, you might have life through his name. So how does that come? It comes through divine revelation. That's faith's reception. I receive the truth about who God is because the truth of God has been presented to me. My friends, this is so important. This is why we keep preaching your word. That's why when you come on Wednesdays, I preach for 60 minutes. Why do you come on Sunday? I preach for 45 minutes. Why? Because that's the only way you're going to believe what God says. I can't convince you. I can't persuade you. I can twist your arm, yes. I can threaten you, yes. But God works in the heart. And he only works in the heart through the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing concerning the word about the Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 19, verse number 7, the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. It converts the soul. Paul talks about in Ephesians 5, the washing of water with the word, right? Ephesians 5, 26. Taken from the book of Ezekiel about the new covenant that God was going to bestow upon his people Israel. How he'd sprinkle clean water upon them and cause them to walk in his statutes. Cause him to seek his face. That's the promise of the new covenant. And that comes because of the truth of the revealed word of God preached and taught. That's why we go door to door and preach the gospel. That's why we compel people to believe in the gospel. Because that is the only thing that can convert the dark, dead, depraved, defiled mind that needs to be delivered. How does God deliver that mind? Through the teaching and preaching of the word of God. It's God's word that convicts. It's God's word that convinces. It's God's word that crushes the soul. Jeremiah 29, 13. Read this on Wednesday night, right? Is not my word like a fire, he says? Is not my word like a hammer that breaks up, that crushes the soul? Yes, it is. So I can preach the word of God knowing that as I'm preaching the truth, it's like a hammer being beaten on your soul, crushing your heart, stirring up the 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 all the inner parts of you that is so hardened and calloused to the truth of God's word. God's word does that so that it softens the heart to receive the truth of the living God. Number four, faith's conviction. Faith's conviction. Faith is characterized by conviction. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one. Now, faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
Faith is characterized by conviction. You're going you're gonna to examine the reality of your faith looking through Hebrews 11 and ask yourself, is my life characterized by a deep conviction about what God has said? A deep conviction. Listen, it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. We're going to look at Hebrews 11 and look at, look at the, the Israelites who were told to walk around Jericho. Wait a minute. This is their first battle as they embark on the promised land. God says walk around the city for seven days. Why? Why do that? That seems ridiculous. And then on the seventh day, walk around seven times. What? Why do that? And then shout and blow trumpets and the walls will come coming down. Come on. Are you kidding me? See, faith doesn't ask why. Faith just believes what God says. And so God said it. They believed it. They did it. And guess what? The walls came tumbling down. What a beautiful illustration of the conviction of things not seen. Everybody in Hebrews lived for a city whose maker and architect is God. But they never saw the city. But they lived with a conviction that the city was coming. See? They believed that. Why? Because God said that. You believe what God says. We're alien and strangers in a foreign land. So important to understand this. And all through Hebrews 11, you have all these people, Moses, who saw him who was invisible. How did Moses see the invisible God? You can't see God. He's a spirit, right? So how did Moses see him? Blessed are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, for they shall see God. You see him not with the physical eye. You see him with a spiritual eye. And therefore, Faith is characterized by conviction. It's the conviction of things not seen. But it's a conviction based on what God has said. Do you really believe what God says? That's the essence of faith. I trust what God says. And because I trust what he says, I obey what he says. Trusting obedience. So faith's inauguration, it commences with the Christ. Faith's expedition, it's sought after sincerely. Faith's reception, it's received through revelation. Faith's conviction, it's characterized by just that word, conviction. And faith's manifestation, that is, faith is witnessed in my works. Faith's manifestation. Faith is witnessed in my works. My works don't give me faith. My works don't save me. But my works manifest the fact that I have true saving faith. Faith is the root. Works are the fruit. James 2, 14 and following. All about living a life of faith as opposed to dead faith. It's a living faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are his workmanship. We are his literary masterpiece. So that we would perform good works that were determined beforehand. In other words, God has already predetermined all the good works that we're going to do. So if God predetermined your salvation and you're saved, 
then the works that follow that have already been predetermined you're going to do them because God is in charge. Interesting note, then in Mark chapter 1, when Christ said to James and John, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Same word used in Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship. We are his making. Same word used in Romans 1, verse number 20, by the fact that the heavens that were made by God demonstrate the glory of God. In other words, the heavens are a literary masterpiece of the living God. We are masterpieces of the living God. Christ says to James and John, listen, I'm going to make you something so unique. I'm going to make you into fishers of men. I'm going to make you into my literary poem that's going to be read by all who see you. It's going to be heard by all those who read you. And therefore, I will make myself known through the life in which you live. Faith is witness in works. It's witnessed in the life of Abel, right? In his worship. It's witnessed in the life of Enoch, in his walk. That's the second character. Third one is Noah. It's witnessed in his work. Here was Noah building an ark in the middle of a desert where it's never rained before, and God says it's going to rain. So what's Noah going to do? I don't know what rain is. I'm not so sure it's going to do that, Lord, because that's not how things work here on earth. But God said, this is what you're going to do. You're going to build an ark in the middle of the desert where there are no trees. It's going to take you 120 years to do this, but you got to do it because faith is conviction in the things not seen. So Noah, his faith was witnessed by his works because he had received that faith. He was convicted of that faith. He therefore lived by that faith. So everybody who saw him mocked him, laughed at him, ridiculed him until it started to rain. Nobody mocked him anymore. Nobody ridiculed him anymore. In fact, we'll see that when he gets into the ark, God shuts the door, not Noah. Because if Noah would have shut the door, he'd have opened the door. But God shut the door because God said, that's it. You've had 120 years to repent. You're not going to repent. No more opportunity. And God shut the door. But faith was witnessed in his works. That's faith's manifestation. And lastly, faith's continuation. Faith promises to always persevere. Your faith, because it's not your faith, it's God's faith granted to you by a gift, will never, ever fail fully or finally. Why? Because it's a divine gift given by a divine God to take us as children through this life to the next. And the faith that God gives, although at times it might seem fragile, it will never fail. 
How do we know that? Because Christ prayed for us. And God always answers the prayers of his son. Remember in Luke 22? Christ says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired, has come to me and sought permission to sift you like wheat. Isn't it great to know that Satan can't do anything unless he gets God's permission? Right? He can't go anywhere. He can't do anything unless he asks permission. That's just such a great thing to understand the sovereignty of Almighty God, the Almighty King of the universe, that Satan has to ask permission to do anything that he does. So Jesus says that Satan has sought permission to sift you like wheat. But that's okay, Peter. I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And that after you return, you will strengthen your brethren. Now, did Peter, Peter said, no, Lord, that's not going to happen to me. But it did. He failed. He, he denied the Lord, right? But it wasn't fully and it wasn't finally. It was only for a while. But he came back. If you read First and Second Peter, you understand all the things that Peter learned that trial. He did strengthen his brethren. Look at the book of Acts, how God used him at the beginning of the church to move the church through the church age. God strengthened his, uh, Peter strengthened his brethren because God brought him back. And so when he writes 1 Peter 5, he says, look, be vigilant, be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, he goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. How does he know that? Because I was one of those guys. I was warned by the Lord. This is who he is, so be vigilant. Be under control. Be strong. Be humble. But make sure you understand that you need to stand strong in the faith. It talks about being steadfast in the faith. Why? That's how you resist Satan. You don't resist him by rebuking him. No. God never called the Christian to rebuke Satan. That's God's job. God never called us to bind Satan. That's the archangel Michael's job in Revelation 12. I'm sorry, Revelation 20, sorry. So what do we do? We just resist Satan. How do we do that? Resist him steadfast in the faith, believing that what God has said is true. Hey, listen. Every one of us in the room who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are going to be times where your faith will stumble. There will be times where your faith will tumble. There'll be times when you might even grumble about your faith. You might even want to rumble (laughs) with your faith. But listen, you will never crumble nor will it ever fumble your faith. Isn't that good? Of course not. Why? Because it's the faith that God grants you. He keeps you. John 17, 11, he prayed, Father, keep them in your word. He'll do that. That's what he does. We are embarking on the most fabulous journey in Hebrews the all-sufficient Savior of the universe, 
grants us faith to believe in who he is and what he does. And now he's going to give us illustration after illustration after illustration about all these people way back in the book of Genesis to Abel. About people who believed in what God said and didn't waver. Oh, there are people that made some mistakes. Abraham did, Sarah did, but they are committed because of their faith. Look at Rahab. She's a prostitute. What does she know? Oh, she believed in the revelation of God because she had heard about who the God of Israel was and she believed in him. That's why God spared her in in, uh, the book of Joshua. Read about her in the book of Hebrews. Read about it in the book of James, right? Abraham, Rahab, the great prophet, the great prostitute, put side by side. Why? Because whether you're a prophet or a prostitute, when God grants you the faith to believe, you believe. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We are so grateful for Hebrews chapter 11. We are grateful, Lord, because it grants us the opportunity to understand how you work in people's lives. You're the God who works yesterday, today, and forever. You're the same. You've always granted men and women the ability to believe, to trust, and to follow. We thank you for that, Lord, because, Lord, if it was up to us, we'd stop following. We'd stop trusting. We wouldn't want to do it anymore. But because of you, faith continues. It continues to grow. We continue to follow. Yes, there are difficult times. But in spite of the difficult times, Lord, we know you are true because what you have said is true. And we believe that. And therefore, we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.